Amen. Turn around and say hello to someone and then be seated. Amen and amen. All right, a great day once again. Thank you, one and all. We have a number of folks come back and visit. And right now, we are beginning already for 52 Sundays ahead on the 60th anniversary, which will be October the 29th, 2023. Start inviting people. Start working on folks. We're going to double our crowd at least. We're going to fill it up. We're going we're, we're to fill up our buses. We're going to fill up our Sunday school. We're going to fill up our youth ministry. We're going to bring in, a, a, hopefully, Lord willing, a row of wheelchairs. And uh, we're going to bring in folks from all different backgrounds. I saw some deaf people today. We were, we were, we were walking through a parking lot on the way to a place to eat, and I saw a deaf man coming out, and he was signing to a, a woman, and one of the two of them, or both of them, were deaf. And you know what? God wants us to reach out to the deaf and to the blind and to the, and, and the challenged and all the folks that we possibly can. And we're going to run into them, Brother Daquan, as we go door to door, we're going to run into them. Some will come out, and they'll have a little sign. They'll say, I am, I'm hearing impaired. I don't speak. I don't, you know, I don't hear you. And so then we got to get our pad of paper out and write big plain letters and lead them to Jesus. And um, had, a, had a fella two years ago, three years ago at the fair, I forget, two, two years ago I believe it was, that uh, was deaf and uh, praise the Lord, able to lead him to Christ. Now, I am woefully ignorant of sign language, but I was able by... by uh, by his reading my lips and by my writing it out to lead him to Jesus Christ. And we can, we can lead all kinds of folks to Jesus. They all need to get saved. We have found great inroads with Muslim folks, haven't we? We've seen, I mean, we've seen Sikhs and Muslims and Hindus open up to us as never before. One of the friendliest uh, encounters I've had in the last several weeks I had with folks that were not even... Uh, from our background whatsoever. But you know what? God has brought them to our shores and to our block and to next door to us. We need to win them to Jesus Christ. Love them to Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I'm all excited already. I'm going to stay excited too. And I want you to stay excited. And let's, let's be praying. Say, Lord, fill up the house. Fill up the house. Lord, use me. Help me. Fill up the house. Amen. Let's do that. Praise God. And you folks that were with us uh, this morning, either in person or online, I want you back. Come back, come back, come back. Don't, uh, don't uh, neglect uh, gathering with God's people this way. We've had a great month of missions. Flags are going to come down this week. That doesn't mean the emphasis is going to decrease. We have enough promise, by faith promise, we're going to watch the giving now for two months, and then we're going to meet early in the year, and we're going to take on some new missions projects. We've got some missionaries that have been suggested. We've got some projects that have been suggested. And we're going to take them on. So be in prayer for our, our current missionaries and for those that we might be taking on in the future. Don't forget uh, this week, we're going to be busy about our Father's business. We'll be back Wednesday night, 7.30. Don't forget also Saturday, 9 o'clock cleaning, 10 o'clock visitation. We'll go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. And uh, if you haven't signed up for the Care and Share Thanksgiving dinner, we got some more folks signed up. Praise the Lord. And uh, I just want to uh, shout out to some of the folks that visited from a distance. Well, uh, Melissa Toro said, we're going to be back for the Care and Share Thanksgiving dinner. She said, we've got to come back. She said, I signed up for some food. 
So, amen. So they'll be driving. It's like an hour 25 away, and when the traffic's out there, it's worse. But they, listen, they said the fellowship was so sweet. Uh, I'm not going to name all the names, but at least five of the guests, the visitors that came said how sweet the fellowship was, how good it was. It was like coming home. And folks, that's exactly it. We want it to always be like coming home. Amen and amen. Ran across an old tract. Why do I need church? Why can't I worship God in the comfort of my home enjoying the best preaching and music TV has to offer? Well, if you're watching me, but it says, uh, but people who do that on purpose, not because they're, they're challenged, you know, they can't get out or whatever. We got a lot like that. Or a distance. One of our, one of our members out on the West Coast contacted us today. Just loved the service, loved the atmosphere. 3,000 miles away, loving it. So I'd like to be here. And maybe they can for next year. Who knows? But anyway... Why can't I just enjoy being alone out in the woods, just God and the, and the pine trees and myself? Why can't I meet God at the water's edge, wiggling my toes in the warm sand, surrounded by thousands of sun worshipers? Do I really need church and why? Here, here's what the track says. I need church because it's a family reunion. I like that. Jesus was talking about who his family was. You remember that in Mark chapter 3? Who are my brethren? Who, who's my family? You know, it's your spiritual family. That's, that is not to discount your blood relatives. Everybody here came from a mom and a dad. And so technically we've got some blood relatives somewhere. And, uh, and you may be on good terms or not. But whether you are or not, the relationship that you have in Jesus Christ with people can frequently be closer than your blood relationships not putting them down. I'm just saying the things that connect us are so strong. They're spiritual, aren't they? When you think about the folks with whom we minister, very, very close. He said uh, further, not only is it a family reunion, it's a classroom. I'm preparing for a mission. I'm on an extended course of study. For the rest of my life, I'm enrolled in a course of Christian discipleship. We talked about growth and grace. And then number three, you got it? Family reunion classroom. I need a church because it's a refuge. It's a haven. Amen. I need a church number, number four because it's like a billboard. All my neighbors see me go down to that building on the corner week after week and they can tell it's important in my life. So it's a billboard. It's an advertisement. That's it. It's, it's, a, it's a memorial service. We're remembering Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And it is a victory celebration. And last but not least, it's time to to spend with my heavenly father. So I get to spend time with my father. My, my dad, my human father, has gone to heaven. I can't spend any time with him. I can think about him. You know, I can talk like he's there, but he's not there in the room. He's gone to heaven. But my heavenly father can be right there in the room with me. Praise the Lord. And the lover of my soul. Now, I love my wife. I love her dearly. Uh, but Jesus loves us with a love that surpasses all loves. And we know that. And so she loves Jesus, and I love Jesus. And, and you know what? We've got that in common. When you come to church, you're sitting in the same building with people who may be entirely different as far as the background is concerned, maybe a different race, a different background, different uh, national origin, different types of jobs, education, uh, societal position. 
But we have Jesus in common. We've got the same Heavenly Father. Come on now. We've got the same lover of our soul. Come on now. And we want to be in church. Praise the Lord. So I thought you'd want to hear that. I, I had asked for higher ground as the opening number because we need to be progressing. We need to be moving forward. And tonight we're going to speak how they did in the first church, move on and move forward. And we need to move on and forward as well. Would you join me in turning to Acts chapter 2? I have probably preached this passage of Scripture a hundred times in my ministry. And that's no exaggeration. We've taught it. We've preached it. And uh, we want to always go back to it. The book of Acts is the blueprint of the New Testament church. We are a New Testament church. We want to be just like the church that Jesus built. We are the church that Jesus is building. In Acts chapter 2, after Peter had preached on the day of Pentecost to all of those Jews who had assembled in Jerusalem for the feast from all around the world, speaking many different languages, it says, after he preached to them about Jesus and how they had taken and crucified him, it says in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now Peter is addressing them. Yes, they are a group of thousands of individuals, but collectively they are the scattered uh, and now reassembled nation of Israel. They are the Jewish uh, brethren spoken of here. And so they're asking corporately, what can we do? Because even though individually we make our decision for or against Jesus Christ, as a nation and as a society, we have to answer as well. If, if America doesn't get totally right with God, America corporately will pay. Nations have frequently come under the judgment of God, even though those nations contain some, some wonderful Christians who are functioning Christians, but... Because society is so far from God, sometimes we all suffer because of that. And so they're asking, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now before you go off your tracks on this one, we believe in rightly dividing the word of truth. How many of you believe in that? Amen. So you got to look at to whom this is being spoken and for what purpose. Peter is saying, repent. You need to have a change of thinking which will lead to a change of how you believe and will in turn uh, result in a change of your direction. But it starts with a change of mind. When we have repentance toward God, the Father, and faith towards the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, you have those two parts. The repentance there speaks of a change of our mind first regarding God. God is no longer the bad guy. When we start out to believe on Jesus, we've got to get this right. God's not picking on us. It's, we're, we're getting what we deserve, and we need to have a change of mind and see this thing through the lens of Scripture. And so that's what Peter is saying to the corporate nation there. He's saying, you need a change of view. You need to look at this thing differently. You need to repent. You need to get a different view. 
that different view, of course, will result in a change of heart and life. When a person then or now believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, then we are saved from the inside out. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. Now, the word for, it's found in that verse. If you look up for in any English dictionary, you're going to find dozens of definitions for for. For, with a view toward. That's what it means here. With a view toward. So when you're baptized, when any person is scripturally baptized, that is not as a means, a means of, of remission of sins. It is with a view toward the remissions of the remission of our sins. So the word for means with a view toward that. How many of you understand what I'm saying? For, with a view for, toward that. That's what it means. Uh, if, if I said, I'm going home tonight with Gwendolyn, for she is my wife. She doesn't become my wife by going home with me. We're already married. I'm going home with her tonight because she is my wife. With a view toward that thing. And so, this is not a new plan of salvation. If you run into apostolic people, so-called, uh, some holiness people, some oneness people, Jesus-only Pentecostals, how many of you know somebody like that? You've run into somebody like that? All right. They will say Acts 2.38 is their plan of salvation. But Acts 2.38 is not a complete uh, uh, plan of salvation. Acts 2.38 gives us an order here. We understand that. But he is saying to them, you need to have this change, and then you need to have baptism uh, with a view toward remission of sins, understanding that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ are what saves us when we believe on him. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. They had seen the manifestation of the endowment of power from the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Look this way. It is erroneous for us to say that they received the Holy Ghost as if the first for the first time on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was an endowment of power. When Jesus breathed on the disciples in Acts chapter 20, He said, receive the Holy Ghost. He was speaking about them receiving that indwelling. That happened in Acts chapter 20. Now, I wasn't the first one to ever teach this. John R. Rice taught this very effectively, and I adhere to that belief. I believe what happened on the day of Pentecost is not what some Protestants who have infected the thinking of Baptists have taught. They, they taught that, that a whole new, almost a, a sub-dispensation began on the day of Pentecost. D.L. Moody said Pentecost is, is a sample day. It's a, it's a specimen day of this age. The endowment of power is the outpouring of power whereby those who already are saved can manifest the power of God in and through their life and be a witness that Jesus said, and ye shall be witnesses. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. With the speaking in other known languages, as we see the listing in chapter number 2 earlier on, 
That happened on that occasion. You don't have to have the gift of languages in order for you to have the manifestation of the endowment of the power of the Holy Spirit. When you get on fire winning souls to Jesus Christ, you do not need that. But there are people who have lifted this thing out of its context and made Acts 2.38. You see bumper stickers. Believe Acts 2.38. Practice Acts 2.38. They're apostolic, United Pentecostal, and holiness groups. And they believe that's a plan of salvation. That's not a plan of salvation. They connect being uh, uh, filled with this, this, uh, this great surge and uh, speaking in glossolalia as being some part of or completion of salvation. And that is not the case at all. Some of those groups, the Apostolic Group, the United Pentecostals and others, when you say you've received Jesus Christ, you're not going to heaven yet. You want to know why? Because they say, well, you've got to get in the tank. Which tank? Their tank. Church of Christ will tell you the same thing. It's got to be their tank, their water, as if there is some magical recipe in that tank. And I've got to tell you, we do everything we can to maintain that, but I've got to drop a chlorine tablet in there every once in a while, lest we get more than what we bargained for. All right? It's just, it's a tank of water. That's what it is. It is the means, the mode by which we show death Burial, covering, and resurrection. We saw that today four times over, didn't we? Amen. They almost took me for a swim. Amen. But uh, that's okay. Folks get excited when they get baptized. That's good. I like that. But the baptism itself doesn't have any sacerdotal power, just like the Lord's Supper doesn't have any sacerdotal power. It has no power to save or keep saved. It is a sign. It is a symbol. So baptism always has been a symbol. Lord's Supper always has been a symbol. There's no saving, keeping power in that. There's nothing mystical about it. You know, the, the folks that are Orthodox or Catholic or Episcopalian or whatever, and they say something mystical happens to the, to the wine. They, they use wine. And, um, and to the bread, they use bread. We understand that that's not the case at all. It's, it's simply... Elements to show the blood, the broken body of Jesus Christ. And that water gives us the opportunity to show death, burial, and resurrection. There it is. All right. So Peter is telling them where, what direction they need to be headed. He's telling them corporately what they need to do. That whole nation needed to, to get right. Now a whole bunch of them do. A, a lot of them do that day, as we're going to see. For the, the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. We understand that God begins to work with a man and his family and a line and eventually a nation. We understand that. And then we understand that through the New Testament, this is expanded to include others as well. The, the, uh, the tree that we see in Romans 9, 10, and 11, which is the, the Jewish tree, uh, has grafted in some other branches, Gentile branches, and I'm so glad. And be careful, Gentile branches, because you could be broken off too. So God's not finished with His Old Testament covenant people. They're called the bride of God. Those of us in the New Testament were called the bride of Christ. We need to understand and rightly divide the word of truth. 
And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. There is a downward pull that takes place. For every second we spend out in the world, we are exposed to that which is ungodly and is contrary to the Word of God and the will of God. And we need to constantly check what we've heard, what we've learned, what we've discussed. I, I, can't, I can't express this more clearly and more plainly than I am right now. We need to spend more time staying off the Internet than on the Internet. Because there are too many things that would draw a person away from the Lord. Then they, here it is, verse 41, then they that gladly received His word were baptized. So now we understand what comes before baptism. Gladly receiving the word. Now there are some folks who take one passage of Scripture, build a case, and then take that system and put it over all other Scripture and interpret that Scripture according to that. Now the cults do that, and some extreme positions within what we would call our brothers and sisters in Christ do that too. They'll take an extreme position. They'll build a case, and they'll, then they will interpret every other Scripture according to that. Now listen to me. I don't know how this works, but I know that it does. I know that God convicts and convinces and draws people by His Spirit. I don't know how that works. I know that I can't see, I can't see, you know, the Spirit. Just like the wind moves the leaves and the trees, you can't really see the wind. You can see the dust being blown up, but you can't see the, the air itself. You can't see that. You can't, you, can't see, you can't see what God is doing when He's drawing, but He is. And you see sometimes outward expressions of conviction, don't you? I have preached meetings, Brother Tom, when people have stood at the invitation and grabbed onto the back of the of the bench in front of them and just shook with conviction. I mean, just sweat profusely under conviction and have refused to budge. I've seen others that have come crying and weeping under tremendous conviction. I've seen other people come very quietly. And, and you try to measure that out. And you say, well, that one must not have meant it as much as that one. That one's more profuse than this one. But it has nothing to do with that. Those are outward manifestations. What the Spirit is doing within is bringing us face to face with our need. Yes, our sins are, are what make us feel this tremendous burden and this guilt. And Jesus Christ will take the burden, will take the guilt from us if we'll receive Him. And some folks get saved back there in the pew, and some folks get saved when they take that first step down the aisle, and some folks get saved when they reach the front, and some folks sit there and ex explain to them once, twice, thrice, four times, and then they finally get it. It's all different. Some people weep. Some people don't weep. Some people tremble. Some people don't tremble. I don't know. I don't create, and I am not going to, I am not going to so closely define what I have observed as being rules of coming to God. I simply know that people are drawn by the Spirit under conviction. When we preach and teach the Word of God, He honors the Word. When you're in a church that is a King James Bible-believing church, there is a much greater 
uh, potential for a person to be convicted and come and be saved than someplace that does not honor the Word of God. You're getting a mixed message, and it's very difficult. Now, it is possible if I would get an invitation. I don't know that I would. Don't fire me if I do, folks. But if I got an invitation to go to a Mormon temple and preach, you know what I'd preach? I'd preach the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. I would preach if I went to a Catholic church, if I went to any other ecumenical church, if I was in, invited, I would, I would have to be prayed up. But if I got invited to a, a spiritualist church or whatever, one of those places, any cult, I would preach the simple gospel of Jesus Christ and God would honor that and people would come forward. And I happen to know for a fact this does happen. But when you're in a King James Bible-believing church, it's much more likely that people are going to respond. And how they respond is individual. But here's what is basic. Because of the preaching of the truth, meeting the need of that person, when they receive, when they perceive their need of a Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what if the person is mute? Then they call from their heart. They, they use whatever means they can to communicate. A mute person can be saved by calling by whatever means they call. It's from the heart. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth uh, confession is made unto salvation. We understand that. That's the recipe. That's it. Now somebody might say, yeah, oh yes, but before the foundation of the world, they were chosen, they were elected. Yeah, yeah, in Christ they were, obviously. But I can't figure that out, neither can you. And I'm not going to make a system that's going to tie people down and discourage them from going on visitation or going soul winning because people are standing there trying to figure out, as I'm witnessing to that person right there, I wonder if they're really elect. I wonder if they really... Don't worry about it. That's God's business. You just take the gospel. Amen? Amen. I hope you're with me tonight. I am not putting down the truth. I mean, I know there's a thing called election. I understand that. We are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ after we're saved. I understand that. Uh, but I understand there's a thing called election, but it's in Christ. And so, praise God. I understand that's based, based on God's foreknowledge. God doesn't force. God doesn't, God doesn't say in a big lottery in the sky before time began that you couldn't possibly get saved, Daquan. So no matter what you do, even if you want to, you can't get saved. God does not do that. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us who are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You may, this may not be your favorite message of all time. That's all right. Just stick with me, all right? They that gladly received His word. How did they get saved? They gladly received His word. Now, how that happened, I don't know. Did each one come crying or moaning or groaning or shouting, or did they come quietly? They all came however they came, but they did, and they received His word. And they were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So we have 100, 120 in the upper room. Now we have 3,000, I think, more. So we have 3,120 at least. And what do they do? Oh, well, let's see. They filled out a card, went home, and were never heard from again. No, no. They were busy. They were, they were not just there on Sundays. They were there all the time, daily in the temple. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Put it down. When, when an individual or couple or family come forward to join, they get interviewed by the pastor, hopefully at another time. 
because I've made a, a, enough bad calls as, as a human being in my time with people that were not on the same page. We've had people say, oh, I believe just like you do. And, and what you've got to do is you've got to reach down and, and pull out um, you know, one of our constitutions, bylaws, and say, are you sure? And make sure, because fellowship comes after doctrine. Doctrine's first. Now, I can get along with people who differ with me on certain matters. That's all right. I can get along with them. But if I'm going to be in the same church, we better agree on those things that are outlined as the basic beliefs as we understand them from the Bible. Amen. Amen. Brother Ray, you know how difficult it is when people come into your ministry, they come into my ministry, they come into our ministry, and they want, they want everybody to speak in tongues, or they want everybody to see visions, or they want everybody to, to do something. How difficult. It tears up your ministry, doesn't it? Just absolutely causes discord among the brethren. Now, what's going to have to happen is those people are going to have to talk to the pastor. They're going to have to discuss it. We're going to have to understand. We have had people that came in from that background. Uh, today we had a family baptized, and we have been over doctrine. We understand the differences from which we have come, and now they are in agreement with us. We have recently had some folks that were baptized, and this was not the first time they were ever dunked in water. When they were dunked in water before, they were dunked in water before by some people who taught you can lose your salvation. They were taught that the only way that you can have evidence of your salvation is by speaking in tongues. So you understand what I'm saying? There are people who differ. And we love them. We're not against them. But what we don't need is to paint our church as one great big umbrella where anybody believing anything can espouse it to the confusion of everybody else that's there. Scatter the sheep. Cause confusion. No, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. We believe the Bible is the Word of God. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Basic Christianity. That's it. What do we need? We need basic Christianity. Well, what do we need in the 21st century? We need first century New Testament Christianity in the 21st century. Amen and amen. All right, then, and fear came upon every soul. Now, that's not paralyzing fear. That's, that's awe. That's holy awe. That's respect. We need some of that. Over the years, we've had all kinds of people with different levels of expressiveness in our ministries. And uh, in our previous ministry, we had some people that were extremely vocal and uh, almost, you know, to the point of wanting to, you know, run the aisle, you know, get excited, wave the hanky and and they got excited, praise the Lord. And then we had some folks that came from Eastern Europe, and, and they were very quiet and reserved. And they would bow their, their heads, and they would be very quiet in the service. And so uh, under, under one tent, we got folks waving their hankies, and we got folks that are very quiet. Now, when I would ask them about it, they would point to this verse. And they would say, and fear came upon every soul. They were manifesting holy reverence and awe in that, in that respectful way. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Now, it's the apostolic age. They didn't have the completed canon of Scripture yet. They had the Old Testament. And some books were going to be written in uh, the next decade or so that would be New Testament books, but they didn't have those. And so until they got 
the New Testament until it was completed, we have the apostolic gifts. And these included various expressions and manifestations of apostolic power. We don't need that now. We've got the completed Bible. We've got it in English. Praise God. We've got a number of languages. We've got the Word of God. And uh, folks can understand what the Bible says. And so they, they saw the manifestation of the apostolic power. And this authenticated the message of the speaker. You see how people are drawn to this type of thing today. Even though we don't need apostolic gifts, we've got the Word of God. You go to certain meetings, I hope you don't, but if you go to certain meetings, you'll, you'll see all kinds of, of, of wildness going on, and they believe that's like the New Testament apostolic gifts, and not at all. Now notice what else went on. And all that believed were together and had all things common. That means people were looking out for one another. They were connected organically. They were continuing daily. They were going on every day uh, with a connection to each other. They cared about one another. They cared for one another. If you're not getting anything else out of this message tonight, whether you're here or you're out there online, it's very important for our Christianity in the 21st century, in order to be like the first century, we need to care for other Christians, for brothers and sisters in Christ. How you doing? Let me help you out. Is there anything I can do for you? And frequently get involved in helping people without being nosy, without, you know, without trying to control somebody's life. Just to be together and have all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. This is not, as I said on devotions a couple of days ago, this is not communism. The difference between communism and Christianity here is that this was flowing out of their heart. This was voluntary. It was willing. It was deliberate. It's the natural thing because they were connected. They cared for one another. They were, careful. They were looking after one another. They were doing those sorts of things. And you know as well as I that when you're in that kind of a spirit, your money is not so precious to you as a brother or a sister in Christ, their well-being, their spiritual advancement. Remember, higher ground. We're not in the business of just keeping people on the dole or keeping them on some kind of Christian welfare. Now, I will pay every day if necessary uh, a dollar or a couple of dollars and a gospel track for the opportunity to pull up to a corner and talk to a homeless person, and share my heart. It's worth it to me. Okay? Fellow down here, it stands outside of Safeway, pull up and say, hey, Sam, how are you doing? His name is Sam. So just say, hey, Sam. Hey, Sam. And then ask him this. Does God kick any of his children out of the family? Because that's the one thing he's learned from preacher. God doesn't kick any of his children out of the family. He may not know any other theology, but he knows that. He, he's, he knows he's, he's imperfect. He knows he's a sinner like the rest of us. He's got struggles every day. I can see it in him. He's got struggles every day. But you ask him, and as sincerely as he can tell you, he loves Jesus. He, he, you know, he, he would like a different life, I'm sure. But that's, that's the life that he's got. All right? Uh, 
There, there are people all over the air. I'm, I'm happy to say, we are talking about this the other day, I know of at least one or two that I have talked off the street and have gone back home. One young lady used to be out here, going back to West Virginia, praise the Lord. Back to her family, back to her kids, off the street. That's a good thing. But in the meantime, I will pay a dollar or two to witness to somebody, to have a positive impact. This is important. We, we need to not care so much about our money in that respect. I'm not talking about being flippant or wasteful. I'm talking about investing in souls, investing in lives. You say, well, you don't know what they're going to spend that money on. No, I don't. I have no idea whatsoever. But I, I've, I've gotten over the, being so suspicious and so concerned and so worried about it that I can't do something at least to witness to them, give them an opportunity to listen to a good word. You know, God loves you. Do you know how much he loves you today? He's looking down on you and watching over you. And he knew I was going to come by today and say these words. Did you know God loves you? God loves you. Amen. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily, here it is, with one accord. Continuing daily with one accord. They're connected. They're connected. I want you to think back. There was a time when you had a very close heart-to-heart -heart connection. I mean, almost like you're spiritually conjoined. You know what I mean by conjoined? You had a relationship with some other Christian or a group of Christians that was practically like being spiritually conjoined. And something happened to drive a wedge between you. And ever since then, you've not had that relationship. And I don't know who I'm speaking to here tonight, but I know the happiest people, the most Balanced Christians, I know, are people that have got that spiritually conjoined, heart-to-heart -heart kind of relationship with folks. So that you, people that in the natural realm, mm, you might not get along. You might not even be friends, you know, if you're out in the secular world. You don't have the same, you know, ideas and likes and dislikes and, and maybe you rub each other wrong. But spiritually, because you've got Jesus in common, you're conjoined heart to heart. That's what we've got potentially in the church. And a lot of churches are very professional. It's like, it's like going to a professional gathering where there is measured distance between you and everybody else. You don't want to get too close. You don't want to get too close to people. And people treat the church that way, and they miss this important aspect of one-accordedness, fellowship, fellowship. Say, I want that, preacher. I want that. If a man would have friends, he must show himself friendly. We've got to take some steps if we're going to do that. Breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. I have a sense here that they didn't worship eating. I have a sense here that they didn't worship, you know, uh, spoiling themselves. I have a sense that they used this going from place to place and eating and so forth and having singleness of heart had to do with that closeness 
with one another. Just spending some time one with another. A preacher friend of mine used to preach and say, I, I don't have a verse for it, but it's very possible that when we get to heaven, because some people haven't gotten used to you know, this kind of heavenly relationship while on earth, they're going to have to be in some kind of remedial class in heaven until they can figure it out. Now, Tom, I don't think there is a verse about that, but, you know, let's get it right while we're down here. Amen. Let's have that, that confidence, confid confidentiality as well, where we can share our burdens with one another and know that it's not going to get spread. Praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I believe there is a large measure, a large group, proportion of the population that is longing for the kind of relationship that I've described to you tonight. They would like to have a closeness that's based on something that's real, that's spiritual, that can be experienced here and now and for all eternity. I believe a large number of people would like that, but they're not even saved. They have a, a natural desire. A lot of the loneliness that they're experiencing is heightened or deepened, whichever you want to say. It's more severe because they don't have anything like that. They don't have anything close like that. It's amazing the lengths to which people will go in order to try to fill the emptiness in their life. But we have built in the potential for that heart-to-heart -heart fellowship, that closeness with one another. And I would like to think that among our group tonight, those viewing, those that will be viewing in the future, that's your heart's desire also. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Every head bowed, every eye closed, and nobody looking. We talked about one accordedness tonight. And how many of you would say, Preacher, something in the message uh, stirred my heart. Something spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up. Something spoke to my heart. Yes, amen. All across the auditorium, many hands raised. And I'm sure many folks tonight are saying, You know, Preacher, we ought to do that. But how do we do that? All right, first thing you do, we need to make sure there's nothing between our soul and the Savior. We need to make sure that we're all clean, that we're right with God, that uh, we have fellowship. We've got to make sure that there is uh, that possibility of being able to be right with God before we can be right with our fellow man. And then let's, uh, let's take steps to share Jesus with others. And uh, the best way to have that relationship is to win somebody. I mean, just start from scratch. Win them to Jesus and, uh, and get them brand new and and then uh, spend some time with them. Have a meal with them. Have a cup of coffee with them. Uh, maybe take them uh, on visitation with you and let them experience that. Just let them be the silent partner and see what God does with that. And if they're not coming out to every service Sunday evening and Wednesday evening, then invite, invite them out. And let's do that. Let's invest in the lives of other people, some newly saved, some not even yet saved, but let's invest in their lives so we might have that heart-to-heart that -heart fellowship. If you're not saved, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Pray from your heart something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. Oh! 